Good evening, you're all listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me today is Three Moves Ahead founder, Troy Goodfellow. Troy, welcome to the show. It's nice to be back. I'm sorry that I missed last week's amazing, but you still missed a lot of things to say, Rise of Nation show. Well, it is entirely your fault. Read your emails. I know, I should I should I should have just done a dramatic reading of your national character series and all the associated Rise of Nations posts. I think that would have I think that really would have taken that podcast to the next level. But you didn't talk about the campaign either. Ah, anyway, I'm 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 working out a name letter. Very good. Uh, we also welcome uh, the crew from Gaslamp Games behind Clockwork Empires. Uh, first, we have Daniel Jacobson, CEO. Hey, thanks for having me. And we also welcome Nicholas Vining, technical director. Hi there, pleasure to be on the program. And David Baumgart, art director. Hello. A man of few words. <laughs> We've sort of been following the uh, the development of uh, Clockwork Empire since it, since it was announced, but just lately it's it's become uh, available in Steam Early Access, and we've had a few, you know, I think Troy and I have had a little chance to play around with some of it, and not all, obviously not all the systems systems are in there, but we get a sense for, for what this uh, city builder Lovecraftian dystopia uh, sim uh, is really all about. But, but I wanted to start off with you guys first. Uh, just, you know, could you tell us a little bit about your background and, uh, where, you know, where, where, did Clo- where did Clockwork Empires come from? Um, in September of 2011, I had a series of fever dreams. No, no. Okay. Daniel, you want to try this? <laughs> right. Um, so uh, Clockwork Empires was one of a few projects that we were um, sort of thinking about um, as as we were sort of de- um, developing Dungeons of Dreadmore, our previous game. So we made a gigantic list of, um, of ideas for games that we had. Uh, and once uh, once we were finished with Dungeons of Dreadmore, or at least it was sort of in a state where we said, okay, well, now we can start thinking about the next thing. We were kind of going over that list. And there were a number of recurring themes. Um, one, of the, one of the recurring themes that uh, was something that it seemed that we were all really interested in at the time and, and still are, and that seemed to be something that uh, other people were really interested in, was the idea that, uh, that games could tell stories just by the way that uh, the, the way that they evolved as people were playing them. So we investigated different ways that we could create a setting and a different uh, a, a type of uh, game style that might just promote that uh, itself. And so we settled on Clockwork Empires sort of as like a um, we like the idea of a management game being capable of um, creating those kinds of stories because it gives you a cast of characters um, and you know a, a, a way of uh, creating a setting for for the stories and uh, the setting and so forth was really just uh, it just came together out of the kinds of things that uh, we were interested in at the time and that seemed to promote some semi-fantastical interesting circumstances for for the player to sort of watch unfold uh, steampunk and cosmic horror are really go together like uh, peanut butter and jelly and that was a pleasant discovery. I think a lot of people are just eating peanut butter sandwiches right now. Or, I think even if you go back to Dreadmore, you can see our interest in uh, cosmic horror and steampunk, like in you know going on further expansions. Those sort of uh, thematic elements would were uh, added in because Dreadmore was certainly not a straight up fantasy. 
I think of Clockwork Empire as also it's it's uh, building on that idea of procedural content generation that we enjoyed so much uh, when doing Dreadmore, but it let us you know take it even further. Because it's not just like monsters and stats and magic items; it's uh, now characters and their whole and stories and experiences and a whole new landscape. What what genre do we do we call this? Because I think when it, when the game was sort of first pitched, uh, it, it was it, it was it was sort of compared to. Um, uh, a little bit of like dwarf fortress, but you know it, it's it's not quite correct to call these city builders uh, per per se, uh, because that that you know sort of implies more of a Sim City uh, or or you know uh, Caesar type game, and these are these are uh, uh, this is a little screwier a, a subgenre you're in. What 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 do you think like sets a, a game like this apart from you know just a just a management sim? Uh, there are, I think there are a few things. Um, this is Daniel again. Uh, one of the things is that it's focused on, I mean, um, like uh, Clock Empires and and even even Dwarf Fortress. They're, fo they're focused on a cast of characters that you don't really get. Uh, you don't really get that sense of scale or scope, um, a uh, sort of a microcosm uh, size scope in normal management games. You're not really given the opportunity to sort of um, grow attached to the characters. So we're kind of zooming in a little bit. There are. It's it's really hard to um, pin down a particular genre. Um, I'm sure that one will emerge over time. Uh, I've heard, obviously, we've heard people refer to Clockwork Empires as a management sim. Uh, I've also heard Colony Builder. I like Colony Builder. Uh, Colony Builder's pretty good, although, you know, I, I, I think it also, um, I mean, it, get, it, it really fits uh, both of those projects, but it's inherently restricted to just colonies and I don't really think that's necessary so I mean it's it's hard it's really hard to say it's a uh, it's been an interesting challenge for us to to sort of contextualize it because you really have to with these kinds of games you have to sit down and play with them a little bit before you really understand that sense of scale that we're trying to get across there was also somebody described it uh, HP Lovecraft the Sims which is a nice <laughs> little a nice little cute boilerplate I don't know if it's accurate per se but it's definitely um, smaller, more intimate. Yeah, uh, David here. Uh, I think the three of us all have a, a very strong voice in what goes into the game, and we each sort of have a different, uh, you know, primary interest. You know, I think Daniel was, is very into the storytelling aspect. I mean, I, I love management sims, so I, I love logistics and organizing things. And I'm pretty sure Nicholas just wants axe murder. Yeah, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the guy who puts in the crazy stuff. And then well, it, we all put crazy stuff. Yes, but, but you know, there's, you know, there's, there's. I started the game up one day, and suddenly my NCO picked up an axe and started chopping people. I was like, Nicholas, what have you done? <laughs> Sorry, testing. I mean, I think Dwarf Fortress is an interesting comparison. Um, when I've been the hour, the hour or so I've put into the game at this point. Um, and I think one of the challenges I have with Dwarf Fortress, and I think it might be a challenge uh, for Clockwork Empires at this point, is because the characters are such deep and rich stories, is, is tracking them, following them, what they're each doing. Because, you know, the models are... In, in Dwarf Fortress, you know, they're all ASCII characters or tile sets. They don't really stand out necessarily. And if story building, and even if it's not, you know, necessarily Lovecraftian horror and axe murder, but, you know, somebody being a great artist or somebody exploring great things, and this is a story you want to find, the type of stuff you do get in Dwarf Fortress. Or I think of our game Crusader Kings at Paradox, where the characters can pop, pop themselves in front of you. 
how what is the challenge in making these citizens into characters and not just into um, walkers like you would have in a Caesar game or in a SimCity game? That is, it is not easy. I mean, uh, one of the first problems you run into is that, you know, to have a reasonable sized town or city, you need a lot of people. And if we add a lot of detail to these people, then, you know, a player can never possibly keep track of all of them at once. I mean, very early on, we came up with this concept of having a, uh, a core cast of characters, like this limited set that you pay more attention to. And we sort of tie that to the uh, Victorian style class system where, uh, you know, the lower class is sort of exploited and discarded. And uh, so we, we have the player paying, we're trying to focus the player a little more on the middle class so they, they can follow these individualist relationships and uh, memories. And I mean, there's so much that goes into trying to convey a character as a person. I mean, like just, you know, in terms of UI, you have to show that they are, you know, memories are, are being formed, that these are connected to actual events, that they're not just a generic memory, but something connected. This is something we've been dealing with in the last month a lot more. And uh, like just, oh, uh, Daniel's too. Yeah, um, one of the other things um, that was that was challenging from this perspective uh, is also how to tie it into game mechanics, because it's you know it's one thing to have a setting. Uh, I mean, we knew, like David said, that we uh, that we wanted a, a, a restricted uh, cast of characters, and um, because I, that that would propel one of the major um, cornerstones of the of the game project. We also needed to tie it to the setting because um, otherwise it would feel really out of place. But it's almost more important that it's tied to the game mechanics themselves. Otherwise, again, it just it feels like something that um, is not integrated into the way that the game plays. So we also came up with the concept that the middle class characters essentially had work crews that um, we will be are, are currently in the early access version of the game and we're working on improving the way that they interact with the world uh, the the general idea being that the middle class characters are are your major characters and they have basically a number of uh, laborers who work for them and it's the middle class characters um, ability to perform tasks and in fact in in uh, as much as we can joke about it their management skill um, is it, it comes out in the way that their work crew performs yeah I, I like how that Daniel and I have this ongoing argument about uh, you know character versus like the machines like which should be more important not that you know one should totally dominate the other but it's like i i, I talk about when i look at dwarf fortress i see a game about like medieval fantasy about you know great smiths creating uh like weapons of legend and stuff and you know the victorian period isn't really about that it's more about like factories and uh, the people working that so the heroes become more the uh, the managers working you know overseeing the factory in a weird way and so we have basically their character uh, trickle down, if you will, to how the laborers do their job. And so that lets, you know, we, we sort of combine the whole idea of a person who does the uh, legendary crafting into this more Victorian appropriate uh, sort of collective uh, collection of workers. Plus, it, it ties into the gameplay side because that lets the player manage it uh, more easily. I was just going to note that I think in Dwarf Fortress, it's not really legendary sword; it's legendary pigtail fiber glove. Yeah, you you managed um, to make a you, you silver make it, yeah, hammer. Le, yeah, legendary grates, legendary quern, legendary sock, <laughs> legendary sack. <laughs> all dangerous. All dangerous. Yeah. So, Trevor, before we go, before we go a little further, I'd like to just mm -hmm. sort of you know 
pass the ball back and forth between us a little bit about yeah. uh, what we've played of this game so far, and uh, then maybe sort of rake these guys over the coals a little bit over <laughs> uh, over what we've seen. Um, so you know, first of all, like, you know, first first impressions. Uh, you know, what what were the uh, you, you know what, what what were you expecting going into this, and uh, what, what sort of caught you off guard? Um, I guess I've been playing so many alphas and betas in my job now that I really wasn't expecting much of anything. Uh, I was kind of hoping I would know what I was doing. Uh, there's not a whole lot of instruction at this point, and neither would there be. A tutorial is always the last thing anything's done. Uh, but it's a fun world to, I'll say that I'll focus on the positive, because there's just, it's still very early stages, and I don't want anybody to listen to this podcast and think that they can just go and play this now and it'll be a really great amazing game it might be in the end but right now it's still very much a work in progress and i think uh, uh the uh, gas lamp guys will admit that and that's perfectly fine and all right uh, it is it is a weird world i'm earlier this uh, year we talked about banished uh, a city builder which is a colony builder which is a city builder really where you are dumped on an island and you have to survive and there's not a lot of you know, occult things going on. Your focus is starvation. Um, and people just starve and die, uh, more or less, quite a bit until you realize what the trick is. And once you figure out the trick, that's it. There is a lot of starvation in Clockwork Empires if you don't know what you're doing. Um, if you aren't clear, can people hunt? How do you sort your workers? What do you build first? Always build a carpentry shop. Never forget to build a carpentry shop because you're going to kind of need those boards. And don't waste them building houses quite yet. Carpentry shop, guys, build that. Uh, and the farms and the sorting of woods and then the memories that pop up and some of them are kind of shocking iconography like a man with blood smeared over his face what does that mean oh i just watched one of my friends eat some dead guy I said, okay this turns dark very very quickly and then fishmen start running around and it doesn't take very long to get into the game before you realize this is not this is not a normal setting this is Kind of like, I mean, Lovecraft's one way of putting it, but I look at it as in these as the Victorian adventure literature. You know, the uh, Richard Quartermain, King Solomon's Mines, who knows what's in the deepest, darkest heart of Africa. We're just dumping you off there. Uh, it could be savages, it could be fishmen, uh, it could be God knows what. But there is this, I think the Victorian setting is kind of inspired in that it does have this idea that this isn't quite, you know, John de Mandeville, Marco Polo, Tales of Wonder. It is, we're here to conquer the, we're here to conquer a hostile universe, which is kind of the Victorian approach to colonization. And that comes at you quite early on in the game. So as far as the match between theme and mechanics and art, which is something we talked about a lot uh, in this game, I'm sorry, on this podcast, I kind of like where it's going and i think that's my first really strong positive impression is the unity between the mechanics and the theme and the artwork yeah i um I, i'm with you i, I think the the I, I was sort of caught off guard by how um it's 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 difficult in a game like this uh w playing a work in progress build in early access because with a game like this there's so many things that will be easy for me to miss or to screw up, or something has maybe just maybe gone a little wrong with one of my characters, and I'm just not aware of it yet. Uh, but it's very difficult to sort that out from like, okay, this part of the game just isn't working yet. And so that like that's that's an uncomfortable place to be as a player, especially in a game when you're trying to just get these, just try to get these bastards to keep them from starving. Just would you please cook some damn food and stop <laughs> eating the fish man to get, to get them to do something instead of just sitting around like idle layabouts. 
Yeah, it's 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 definitely um it's definitely troubling when they when the when the food is piling up in the uh in the stockpile and yet they're just like chowing down on some dead fishmen and i'm like i i i planted cabbages for you i this is this is but, not but, what i had in mind have you ever have you ever e- e- eaten a fishman like that could be some really good flesh there well, you know, I mean, here, here in here in New England, uh, I was up in Gloucester uh, the other week, as a matter of fact, and uh, fish man is is pretty much all we eat uh, up there. It's it's, it's pretty, pretty fantastic. fantastic. No um, good sentence ever started with the phrase "here in New England." Um, you know, something something else I I enjoyed is, you know, you're talking about that. Yeah, it's it's the sort of Victorian. Um, you're out there. You're 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 going out there to conquer this hostile hostile wilderness. But you're also very much like sort of importing this Victorian worldview and trying to recreate yeah. your society um, in this com- in in, a, in an environment that it might be completely inappropriate to try to build that society. So there's kind of this. It, it's very funny to me. Uh, you talked about your workers sitting there like idle layabouts, and that realization that like oh, I just I just need a better class of people. To lead another work crew, so these, so, so these, uh, so, so the so hoi polloi will, will will get off their asses and start being productive members of society. But if I'm going to get if I'm going to get that that good foreman in here, well then I've got to make sure that I build them a little chamber full of bourgeois comforts. Um, and it's just it, it, it's it's kind of it's kind of funny seeing that seeing that unfold and how much of this is about uh, sort 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 of making sure that you've got that that sort of class that class ratio uh, balanced out so that you've got you've got enough you've got enough work crews under proper leadership uh, to keep the gears turning, uh, but you're not sort of awash in um, you know wannabe managers. Yeah, I I like that. I'm not sure how much of the game is going to stay the way it is or not, but maybe I'm just some poor bourgeois guy, but I like building my middle-class houses. I mean, the idea of building this little hut with a couple of cots for my workers, it's like, no, no, I want to keep my managers happy, and, you know, that means get the middle-class house, and this is probably me and my... If I had... I was, I was from the lower classes, and I worked my way up, damn it. Uh, so I'm going to build myself a middle-class house and fill it with all the creature comforts. Um, there's a kind of a Sims approach to a lot of this little house, but like, you can build these decorations, and it's not quite clear to me at this point what all the decorations do, but, 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 but damn it, I want my guys to have paintings in their houses because that's what you need, to have proper paintings in a proper house. The decorations just kind of matter to me uh, because it does do a good job of you know, the whole class of making the class system feel like it's important because you have to keep these managers working and efficient and have high enough morale and motivation to, you know, put the whip to Archibald Fish Eater or whatever. (laughs) It's a good name. Putting it in. (laughs) Yeah, so... Where does um you guys where where do those because it is tough to detect sometimes the the feedback and it's it's also, it's also sometimes unclear what all is like you know fully functioning in the game and and what's sort of a placeholder for a system that's going to be developed later, um but but like what what is the what is the impact of uh you know having a lovely little lower class painting in your um 
you know, dreadful windowless uh, longhouse that you built for your workers. Um, what, what what role does that play? And uh, what you know what what's the, what's the, what's to stop a person from just sort of ruthlessly exploiting uh, exploiting your your underclass uh, as just you know strong backs, uh, strong arms, strong legs uh, to power your power your colony. Sorry, I'm not clear. Am I am I am I exploiting the lower class with paintings here, or I mean, I can. Well, why why should you why do you why do you even need to give them paintings? Like, why not just build them as I did? Why not just build them uh, a, a longhouse full of cots and no windows? Um, because dogs playing poker is the opiate of the masses. <laughs> it is absolutely true. Uh, one of the things that didn't make it in for this patch, but will make it in for the next one, I think, um, when somebody creates a painting, the painting will be of something in their memories. So you'll have horrifying paintings of fish people and blood and people eating other people and so on and so That's forth. No. <laughs> um, they didn't make it in Provision 31, unfortunately, but it's nearly there. Um, I think that the, the purpose with the decoration is people, you know, game players just like to build stuff. We like to decorate space. We like to, um, there's a film industry term which I think came out of uh, model building called greebling. And the, the act of greebling a model is putting all the little bumpy stuff on it that makes it look realistic by just sticking random parts to your spaceship or whatever. Um, to me, at least, I'll let the other guys speak for themselves. That's kind of the thing here. And I'm sure that, you know, eventually it will have gameplay roles. Like, you know, people will be happy admiring paintings that aren't horrifying. People will be less happy admiring paintings that are horrifying. People will want paintings and lights will make you happy in the dark and so on and so forth. But for right now, I think that the best thing you get out of them as a player is just a sense that, hey, I'm decorating these little houses. It's that Sims feedback effect. You know, I built a middle class house, my overseer, and I put a, a horrifying painting of a, of, a, of a geometer in it and off we go. Yeah, I will say that um, the fact that we um, track the characters' moods um, is a it's a great way of us for us to make these things matter uh, because generally speaking we found we found really quickly when we started um, putting in the types of events and having the characters remember specific events that just seemed important that the game got really dark very quickly <laughs> and they started getting really sad and upset and they didn't really want to do anything so. Um, Give, doing things like having um, having the right uh, the right setting and giving them nice things to look at and places where they can congregate and stuff like that gives us um, a, a really neat uh, gameplay mechanic for um, counteracting the horrifying nature of the unknown. Sort of the end goal is that it will you know if people have nice, decent lives, they will be less likely to join cults, promising them a better life in the service of Quagoroth, where you will be, you know, eaten eventually, um, or just going on expert first rampages. Yeah. Well, yes, first beat. I mean, we don't necessarily, I mean, the player doesn't necessarily have to be like a good person in this setting. It's, uh, we sort of open it up to be, to get kind of dark, although we definitely want consequences for making decisions like that you know if you totally as nicholas said if people are really unhappy they'll start joining cults and then that's gonna cause some other things to go wrong but it's certainly a valid strategy and and in fact um one of the things um because uh, we're uh one of the things that's coming out in the update this week is that uh the cults will actually have impacts on the character um it was one of the things um 
one of the things that seemed like a low-hanging fruit for a, a game system that uh, that we wanted to implement because it it's symbolic of the the way that we want the game to play. The first one, obviously, we had to make sure that uh, the player or the player made sure that the characters were were fed. Um, the first thing you need to do, obviously, if you're setting up a colony, is make sure that everybody has you know their their very basic needs. But once we had that in place, uh, the uh, the cult is really a way of for us to make player the player um, think about how the characters are feeling and to motivate them to try and make them happy. And in the version that uh, launched with the Steam version, the Steam Early Access version, the uh, the cults weren't particularly effective. They would they'd form and they'd sit around and talk about murder and rename buildings creepy things. They wouldn't really do much about actually murdering people. They're all talk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we so, fixed that. Yeah. <laughs> So they're, uh, they, they are now, um, they, they, they can become quite a problem now. Um, and that gives us um, sort of a way, uh, like you say, like it, 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 ties, it all ties back to, you know, why bother making your characters uh, happy? Well, if you don't, then bad stuff happens. And we give, like, it shouldn't be particularly difficult to make sure they're happy, but we allow the player to, um, you know, opt into it. If if they see a cult forming, they right now they're, the the tools are pretty crude to deal with. That you basically have the option of marking them for justice, and in the frontier, justice is just shooting a person at the moment. Uh, there will be there will be other options as we go, but. Um, yeah, it gives the, the the cults just give us a a great way of, of creating that feedback mechanism. And if you really want the cults to form, um, then some interesting stuff will happen, and you're 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 opting into that. It turns out, I mean, the two biggest requests we actually have gotten from people are, can I team up with the fish people, and can I let my town be overrun by cults and see what happens? So there yeah. are definitely people who want to experience different play styles. Definitely. <laughs> That's actually an interesting uh, problem, though, or, or it, it, maybe it's a problem, maybe it's maybe it's not. Uh, that you, as you make this game now, sort of in public and, and are sort of transparent about the process and taking feedback from the community, uh, you are going to get people sort, sort of being like, "Well, why can't I do this? Uh, you know, why can't I do that?" And, and there, there, I think there is a tendency for, for people to 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 over time start to be like, "Well, I, here's how I prefer to play this game." You're going to make that viable, right? Like, I, th I think you know, Civilization of the example of this right I, we had soren johnson on the show a few months back and he talked about how um you know the the one city civ uh the one city victory used to be kind of this uh, odd iron man thing that that a handful of people would do uh to prove they could but then it sort of developed this constituency and people were saying well no now now you have to make it so that's a that's a viable strategy um what you know what how do you how do you how do you balance that 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 how do you balance on the tightrope between like you know your original vision and, and kind of the the trade-offs and uh you know choices you wanted to sort of impose on the player and then the fact that you you are you will be fielding lots of like sort of particular requests uh about the way this game will play out this is it's fun actually uh i think clockwork empires is a uh, baroque game as a lot of complex bits and pieces i think dragon War was as well and I think we like making that type of game that has a lot of stuff in it, basically. It's a little crazy because, uh, you know, it's a lot of work, but we enjoy the, the feedback and we have a lot of ideas ourselves and some people even think of things that we didn't and sometimes we like it and we're an independent studio so we can, you know, either do it or not. Yeah, and, and moreover, um, in, especially in, in the two cases that Nicholas just mentioned, 
they were those were ideas that we had already and we were interested in 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 propelling so in in many cases when someone says oh well how do you feel about adding this well how, and, and, and and we get a lot of that kind of feedback in, in many of those cases they're systems that we never planned on designing and um, tend to divert from the game that we envision uh, Clockwork Empire is becoming when it's finished. And in those cases, we sort of say, well, you know, that's a little bit outside the scope of what we wanted. But in a lot of cases, um, the feedback that we get that asks for particular features is, is um, informed by sort of what's symbolically there already. So we're actually getting a lot of requests for things that we want to do. And in those cases, it gives us the ability to maybe change our priorities a little bit. But I don't think that the end game is going to be significantly different. There are a couple of um, there, there might be a couple of uh, cases where there are very easy things to add that will um, that will benefit the game, and we, we sort of you know we, we consider these on a case by case basis. I think if somebody had a great idea for something that's really easy to implement in your game and you didn't consider it, that would be a little silly. But you're right that that um, games have a tendency to um, have feature creep, um, and it's even worse if it's early access and you're getting a lot of requests for features that you weren't expecting. And we just uh, we just have to be really careful about it. Uh, we just we just try to not overpromise. Um, the uh, we we try to be very communicative of the stuff that we're planning on putting in. Um, per perhaps overly communicative, but I don't know if that's ever been a problem for an early access game. And um, just try to stick on message. I think that the the systems that we have in our sort of development timeline that we put together right before uh, we launched on Steam Early Access are the same features that we were talking about two years ago when we started the project. It was really difficult to keep it constrained in scope, um, but I think we've done a pretty good job of that so far. One thing that's pretty clear, I mean, you mentioned the game, something was Baroque, that's a good way to describe it, and also you said Dungeons of Dreadmore, which is one of my favorite, you know, roguelikes, dungeon crawls of all time. I think I have hundreds and hundreds of hours into it. It's it's an amazing it's an amazing game. Um, so um, the thing with, with Baroque game, thing, one thing about Dreadmore is it was clearly very funny up front, but you didn't get to realize how weird and twisted it could be until a lot of the expansions were in, and you got quite a ways down, and you realized the number of really broken things you could possibly do, and a lot of the new classes added that. Um, Clockwork Empires is weird, like right up front, like you start the game and weird stuff starts happening. Um, is there a, is your intention to maybe have people have a little bit of normalcy to settle in to discover the weirdness, or do you want people to realize like right off the bat, no, this is not a normal place. Um, people who haven't been following the developer diaries or haven't been following early access, people who might want to discover this sort of thing, or do you just want to have it like right up front in their face, this is a weird and broken world. Be careful what you do. Um, with Dreadmore, when we were when we were writing it, I mean, it was basically a series of jokes held together with string and duct tape. And there's there's some there's some there's some world building in there, there's some backstory in there, but there's also a lot of fairly random references to pop culture and other video games. So our main writing challenge with with Clockwork Empires was okay, we don't want to make a game where you have you know fish people shouting Skyrim stuff at you or whatever. It needs to be self-contained in its own universe and still hopefully be funny and weird. Um, I suspect that the curve might change a bit as we go forward, but I don't know in what direction or how. Um, fish people show up at the rate at which they do. Um, 
they're sort of uh, the equivalent of somebody, I think we described them as goblins earlier, um, and that they sort of show up to have something to shoot and to shoot you back in, in return. Um, there will be more complicated stuff and larger arcs going on of this. And one of the, you know, if, you're, if your selling points are steampunk versus cosmic horror, you really have to put in one of two things every time you put in a feature. Um, well. Or rendering improvements. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I can let David answer this, because I realize my answer is sort of rambling and incomprehensible. Can you make anything out of that? Uh, no, I'm terribly confused. Good. We're done here. Uh, What's no, the, question the, the question was basically, <laughs> like, how do, like, is, is, is the game going to be weird, and is it going to be any different okay. from Dungeons and the Dreadmore? Yeah, there, okay, there are certain things. Like, I mean, we signal right up front with the logo that there are monsters in this game. Like, we kind of have to do that, I think. Right. And that's sort of addressing the, uh, the appeal, I think. I mean, someone would be terribly surprised if they expected, like, you know, a legitimate simulation of, like, British colonialism and suddenly fish people. Although that would be funny from my standpoint, but it's probably not a good idea. Uh, I think we would like to ease new players into the weirdness a little more than we do, but we also have to... Uh, I mean, we are early access, so we have to sort of... Uh, Provide entertainment. Yeah, we have to front load like content in a sense. So, you know, if you had to play for several hours before seeing fish people, like then we wouldn't be doing our early access quite right. It's it's a hard balance to strike, but at the very least, it is a sandbox game and not like a linear narrative. So it is something that can be replayed. And each time we update, like you know, there's new neat stuff, and you know, we develop in reaction to like players' experiences, like what they talk about, what you know, people were growing like thousands of cabbages, and so Ugh. we're like, okay, we got to do something about farming here. So you know, we and made fish people destroy cabbage because they just hate cabbage. We added the malfeasant claw ball. So you know, crops will be corrupted now. Crops will go bad. And, you know, it's sort of like in reaction to what what ends up being broken by players. And then everybody starved. So yeah. we sent it the other way. Yeah. So um, you're it it, it is it is going to be tempered somewhat. Um, we do want players to be once they get in to realize that it might be a little bit weird, but it's um, it's a little heavy-handed now, and it kind of um, just due to the nature of, of the the uh, where we're at with the game, we need to um, we need to just just put it forward pretty quickly so people know. And I think um, we are going to really look forward to being able to subtly add more stuff once people sort of get the general idea. Um, but you're it's it is going to be. It is going to be a weird world. Um, I, I don't think we can make worlds that are ordinary, and I don't think we'd want to. I don't think we can. When I have a doctor's note. It says I'm abnormal. I can't do real game development anymore. When you're tuning, when, when you're making changes in this game and uh, sort, of, sort of tuning these systems and, and developing new features, uh, how much are you able to correctly anticipate how those changes are going to propagate through the game world? Like you, you mentioned the fact that like just you know just tweaking you know the, the way different creatures interact with cabbages and what can happen with cabbage can have these knockout effects to you know the food economy uh, to to uh, you know monster and play, and character behavior. Uh, you know, in, in in something like this, how 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 much can you correctly gauge uh, the the effect of your changes, and, and how much are you are you just kind of you know feeling your way through it, watching it run, and uh, you know just waiting to see what happens? Uh, it's it's not a competitive game for a reason. Um, 
it's it wouldn't be interesting if it were all very well balanced and and that sort of thing we and and we can't we can't really predict it i mean there are there are sort of like the the game's framework was developed in in such a way that uh, that random th that the systems would interact in the like they would have as much cross pollinization as possible, and um, there are ways that we can develop content that very specifically um, uh, excludes the um, uh, the that sort of uh, emergent behavior, and occasionally we do that if we just want things if we just absolutely need things to work right now, but. As we go through, um, like for example, uh, the game has a concept of um, descriptive uh, tags for every object, and um, we can we can say, well, there's not going to be any emergent behavior if there's only this this one tag is only present on this one object. We know exactly what will happen, but we have a like it's very rare that we want to do that, and instead we kind of want the interesting interactions to happen, and this causes some problems. Um, most recently, there was an issue where. Um, there's a the the version that's going to be out this week has a new jungle biome, and one of the things in it is um, a you know a, a coconut palm, and the tree had the tag uh, coconut associated with it, and there's a new um, there's a new recipe for making curry, and we the the curry said okay well let's go find something with coconut on it, and obviously there are coconuts which is what was implied, but they we had this issue where the characters who got the recipe and they were like okay you want me to make some coconut curry all right i'm going to find something with coconut on it and they'd walk over to the tree and try to pick up the tree and carry it into uh the kitchen to to, to cook the to cook the curry and this obviously caused a lot of issues because um it it won't go quite so far as to as to do that properly and it was never intended um so it can it can cause backfires but it's um it's worth it um, to have these the, the random circumstances where it does work. Uh, one of the things, um, thinking a little bit about Dreadmore, when it first came out, one of the reviews that stuck with me a lot was over at Rock Paper Shotgun, and I think it was John Walker who said that uh, compared uh, Dreadmore to a randomly spinning roulette wheel of death, and made the point that it didn't really need to try to be balanced. It didn't matter if one room was overpowered because the next room would get you anyways. You know, we can give you a ridiculous sword or something on level one, and then you will screw up and die of your own stupidity or a monster zoo or stepping on your own blade trap or whatever. Um, Clockwork, I think, in many ways is very much the same thing. Is It's not really, it's not like, say, StarCraft, where you've got a very balanced progression and everything is, is, is fine-tuned to death. I mean, there is tuning, but we don't really do that. We don't really need to do that. Yeah. No, it's, it's a Baroque it, experience, again, yeah. right? It's not one simple mechanic where we, we fine-tune it to death and do everything possible you can do with that. So here's a question I've been turning over in my mind since I, since I started playing this game, and it's something that I think comes up a lot uh, w with city builders and particularly city city builders, I think of uh, game, games of this nature that are a little bit more like part of the fun is watching the system work, and that, and that is you know end states objectives, um, because 
you know, do do you do you see this as, as a game where where in the end there are a couple end states that players can be working towards, where once you complete them, your 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 colony is is kind of run its course. The 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 game, uh, or at least the interesting part of the game game is largely over. Or is this kind of an open ended? Uh, you know, theoretically, you can just watch this colony run, uh, you know, forever and ever uh, kind of game. What what you know what. What, you know, where, where, where do you what do you prioritize? What's it do? What sort of what sort of ideal like end state do you uh, do you envision for a game like this? We've basically got two end states. One, everyone dies, and uh, two, you choose to leave and found a new colony. So it's it's more of the uh, the sandbox uh, interpretation. But we we, I mean, the idea of having objectives is really interesting. So we have a, uh, a this lovely event system. Uh, Partially inspired by the paradox games, I'll admit. <laughs> but uh, no, we have this event system that can uh, support you know a great deal of scripting. So what we want to do is not have like these uh, sort of hard game-ending events where you know you com- complete the objective and then you move to the next map or anything like that. It's more like you know we can suggest this objective to the player and you know wrap it in the uh, you know the narrative the of the game. Maybe the queen requests you know one hundred uh, cabbages. <laughs> something uh, you know we could we could even choose something random the it's, queen doesn't want much <laughs> anything with the meat tag associated with yeah it. we yes. could do that i mean and then you know we could have the player fulfill that objective and that will do something interesting or we could have the player like you know fail that objective and that will do something interesting yeah i mean you know a, a game if it just you know stopped your game right there and said nope you got to do this the right way that that wouldn't be interesting and that's not the sort of game we want to make we want you know you could choose to go Either way, with all of these options, and uh, they might be, you know, in support of the Empire, they might be good or bad, but we want to provide interesting consequences to everything the player does. Yeah, I think I think we're um, we just we don't want an end state that you know um, it's like that that uh, SimCity Magnus Ante or whatever where someone has figured out the like mathematical ideal town and it all works perfectly, um, and in the, the the style of game that it is wouldn't support that anyway. Um, because one of the things that you find uh, with systems like our cult system is that the bigger the simulation is, the more um, the more significant these problems become. So it essentially will become more difficult the better you're doing. Um, the idea basically just being to um, to to come up with unique experiences that the player can that the player can um, like witness and try to react to. Interesting failures. Yeah. Well, that's kind of where I'm going with my next question, once again, to bring it back to Dreadmore, because it's a great example of this sort of thing, is one reason I like roguelikes, you know, I can play them, I can fail, and I can immediately start again. And for games that have the possibility of spectacular and interesting failures, the struggle for many game designers is convincing people to play through the setbacks, not saying, well, I screwed that up, time to reload and start again. Um, And I... Some some games do this well. Some games do not. Some games, you know, they your every little setback can be it. Like you you lose a city or you lose a mine or something, and that's it. You're done. And players just quit and put the game away or restart and don't discover you know the rhythm of the game necessarily. So how challenging is it to have you know this colony builder, the city builder, where you know failure and setbacks aren't just inevitable they are really part of the intentional design and sense of discovery 
How do you as designers encourage people to say, no, no, stick around, don't worry, the, the, the cult's there and it's a problem, but some really cool stuff's going to happen uh, if you can figure some stuff out. How do you push people beyond that, that impulse so many have to say, well, screw this, I'm just going to go back to an earlier save, or screw this, I'm going to start again? These are very difficult questions. Uh, you you yes, make it are. entertaining. Um, I, I think I think that like we, we've uh, we've had that as a mantra that the um, that the failures have to be entertaining. They have to they have to be something that the player wants to experience, and we have to spend a lot of time carefully crafting those failure states. And that's something that um, the game is currently not quite at the level where we can start doing that. But we're really excited to do that because uh, it it is a really interesting challenge. Um, but I think. I, I, I get the I, I feel like the the way that we've set it up um, we've we've been planning on that kind of thing from the get-go we knew from the start that um, that it had to collapse and that it had to be fun doing so if you look at the the build that we have um, cannibalism I think definitely meets the sort of sense of requirements that if you run out of food well what will happen is the people will start starving and they will start eating each other and fishmen, and generally going mad as a result. And if you look at the the feedback from players and also from the media, it's been, I can't believe that happened. That wouldn't happen in Sim City. More please. I think I like this. So I think that that's sort of an, a you know broadly indicating that that is a good strategy for building content. It's the right way to go. Yeah, I think I think we had a line for this. Uh, Losing is fun. No, no, no. That's, that's that's their line. Yeah, fine. Our line was uh, even like a was it a game failure can be a narrative success or something like that. Yeah. But even the playing through failure, I think, is my concern. Where people play through the setbacks, I can recover from this sort of thing. Not just not just seeing failure happen, like spectacular deaths or you know the kind of old hat, but. Playing through a setback. This is that. This is not the death blow. Now, sometimes it is. Sometimes it is the death blow. Sometimes you're gonna be overrun by fishmen, uh, but sometimes they just eat half your colony and or just kill it, and you can get past that. Because yeah. playing through failure is kind of the the hard question. Yeah. Um. Uh, the lack of a game over screen. Um. The ability to have the game mechanics um self reinforced. And again, I mean, like. There's it, there's not a whole lot of um, of content that we can point to as a success at this uh, at this sure. point. But again, I, I think we can point to um, cannibalism as a good example of that because um, essentially what's happening is um, the player um, either either through you know not understanding the game through a game uh, through the game's fault itself or from the player just mismanaging their time they've run out of food. So we create an interesting scenario where people people start dying dying and right. people start eating each other. But it, it, it's a recoverable failure because it's inherently solving the problem um, because you suddenly have food uh, in a place you didn't expect and it gives you it, it sort of allows the um, the game to recover itself in a way that doesn't it doesn't inherently feel like you've been seriously punished and um, it gives you an opportunity to say okay this is gonna keep happening how do I deal with it I think one of the issues uh, the only thing that keeps this from being um, uh, quite as successful as it can be at this point is that uh, at the moment every colonist is important and if you start losing them you start losing uh, momentum in the game so um, there's still a little bit of work done to be done in balancing that but I think that it's um, it, I, it's a good uh, symbol of, of what we want to do there. So where 
where are you guys in, in the development of this thing? Like, like where, like where do you see yourselves going from here? And and how much, how much more work do you do you see you have to do before you're willing to say this is no longer early access? This is this is this is the game. Uh, you know, where where do you, where do things stand right now? Um, we actually we have an exhaustive uh, progress um, page <laughs> on uh, the Clockwork Empire's site. Um, we're where every uh, every month when we put up a major update like the one from this week, um, we're updating it with where we see ourselves uh, in terms of percentage completion. And not only that, because that's a little bit um, misleading. It's a little bit misleading. We also have a percentage of what is for any given system, what is visible to the player in terms of what is completed. We also have a list of milestones that we feel need to be hit in order for the game to be considered done. Um, and like we've spent a lot of time on it. It's, um, it, that's a, that's a pretty important question. I think for early access in general, um, people want to know how far along you are and when it's going to be ready. Um, we're in the process of updating the percentage, so I'm not exactly sure where it is, uh, at the moment, but the playable game, I think is, is still, um, less than half done. Um, and and easily less than half done. And a lot of the, while a lot of the core, um, the core systems are uh, near completion. The content um, is really what's starting to flood in at this point. Uh, and we're, you know, I mean, the the hope with monthly updates is that it gives people a hope that the that these projects will continue and actually reach their um, their like eventual goals. And we were trying to prove to people that yes, we can put out this this uh, level of content. We can meet these goals. We came up with a ton of new content for this patch, um, and uh, I think it's going to be really indicative of our ability to make good on those promises. Um, one of the things that's been really interesting about being an early access game is coming into early access after a series of events occurred that gave it a bit of a bad rap, uh, shall we say? Um, it's difficult to put out content on a regular basis, you know, once a month and have people feel like progress is visible and like their needs are being met and keeping the game stable and running well and getting faster and so forth. It's a really hard balancing act. Um, I think we're succeeding. I'm really, really happy with the change log that we're putting out. I think we all are. Mm -hmm. People are nodding heads here. Um, but, you know, it's, it's really tough to do and you have to, you have to follow through and you have to message that you're following through and make sure that people understand that so that they can get over this new skepticism. We're not really in the golden age of early access where it's, you know, people will let me pay for my virtual spaceships now and I'll get them in three to five years. Sign me up. Um, now we're in, well, hang on a sec. I've been burned before. I'm, I'm not sure I, I trust this. I don't know, you know. There was there was kind of an, an adage that uh, my my dad told me when I got my first job, and he said, you know, do a good job and make sure people know you're doing a good job, and uh, that's that's sort of I we we've been learning a lot from the successes and failures of previous early accesses, and I think that um, I'm I'm hoping that people will learn how to do it better from us as we are learning to uh, to, to improve ourselves. But we're we're basically doing everything that we can possibly think of to make it. Um, to make it as clear to people that you know we're listening to them, the the feedback is very helpful, and that the game is 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 being developed because we're we're gamers too. We we've uh, we've had those experiences, and we don't want that to be the experience people have with our games. 
my father no longer asks me when I'm getting a real job, so I guess we're making some progress on the satisfying <laughs> our father's um, front. Your dad is at Berkeley. I think he's... No, he's at Stanford. But Well, whatever. Stanford, Berkeley. You had a good time is... at Burning Man. That's all. That's we don't need to worry about David's dad. I look forward to when we get to, you know, satisfy his life goals by having a good time at Burning Man. We've got to burn the video game. And we're, that doesn't even work. I think we make a we make a trailer and. No. Okay. I'm not doing it. All right. All right. I think I think we're we've explored this. Yeah. Pretty fully. So, a question for you: um, Do you see yourselves? From here, like what we see in the game, the the, the buildings and the sort of economy, uh, do you see that as a largely completed system, or do you see yourselves going a little more um, vertical with it, uh, as it were? Where right now I see a lot of um, you know sort of colony type buildings, you know, sort of frontier living and everything. Uh, but do you you know do you do you see it becoming a game where yeah you're gonna let the player if they're if they're really rolling, uh, what the hell? Build uh build industri- industrial Newcastle in uh, the eighteen seventies. Uh, go for it. Uh, you know how 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 far up the you know economic ladder the 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 tech tree do you, do you see uh, yourselves letting the player go from here? Oh, you asked yeah. David a question about a tech tree. You're doomed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this stuff's fun. Oh, yeah. Boy. No, uh, we we don't have a lot of that now. It's mostly to set you know you landed at a new colony. Here you go. Like try to survive. We absolutely want to flesh out the economy and the depth of uh you know creating industry and machines and and sort of taking them to uh that steampunk extreme like it's not steampunk until we have steam pipes everywhere and giant gears a cog in every household no we have a rule that cogs have to do something useful you can't just attach cogs to stuff please please (laughs) daniel hates that and you know i agree Uh, but no we 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 want to go way deeper of that, and that uh, are we allowed to hint at the next pump? Yeah, we, we want to flesh out the economy a bit. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, there's there's going to be in the in the coming um, patch or two. There's 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 going to be a, a big emphasis on uh, on on fleshing out the economy, making it not only like it feels really flat at the moment, but it isn't, um, and that's a problem. So we need to make it clear that it's not a purely flat economic system, and um, and. In, sort of give people an idea of how to how to progress through. Was it a Zakharov or a Chairman Yang quote? The uh, one doesn't simply take sand from the beach and produce it. Down oh, that's Nabudke Morgan. No, no, that was Zakharov. Was that Zakharov? Data probe one. We want an iterative process of uh, industrializing. You know, you you build your first like you know crude refining shop, then you find out how to make, you know forge brass cogs, and you can start hooking those up to mechanize your carpentry and industry. That frees up some workers that you can you know apply to something new. Uh, send naturalists out to discover strange fun funguses and uh, see what those do, and you know. Yeah, mm, yeah. There's, be a lot of fun here. There's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of artwork that's been done on this, and we cannot wait to make it available for people to play with. Seriously, does nobody know if it was Zakharov who said that? <laughs> I'm not really up to date on my Alpha Centauri quotes. What? <laughs> I know it's been forever. I haven't played that game in years, dude. That's terrible. I know I'm a bad person. One of one of our listeners, well, I'm sure I'll put that. Will answer this uh, in the forum. I oh, hope. good, good. Yes. Send in your answers now. <laughs> Wait, hang on. What, what what's Zakharov quote are we looking for? It, one does not merely start with grains of no, sand. No, one does not simply take sand from the beach and produce a data probe. 
and something, something, something. Something each step in the process has to be taken. Yeah, yeah but then iterative something. But oh, somebody, no, that's, was, that's Chairman. That's Chairman Young. Oh, oh okay, okay. okay. So, there we go. He's my right. model so, for yeah. management. Science is it, inherently true, actually. David has process, uh, yeah. all David's art tickets have a little picture of, cha- of the chairman on them. It's quite horrific. I just took someone in the punishment sphere the other day. <laughs> One of the artists was nerve stapled. Another public relations artist. Oh boy. Actually, <laughs> you, you're, you're mentioning gears having to do something, and um, and. That brought to mind, actually, you know, we've talked about the steampunk aesthetic a little bit, but, uh, you know, it's it's interesting. In some ways, it feels like steampunk in particular just got absolutely just done to death. Uh, in in the last in, in the last few years, uh, where and I think certain certain tropes uh, definitely um, definitely I think rankle at this point, right? Like yes, decorative gears that don't do anything or uh, brass goggles, just you know what the hell? Uh, why not? Um, what you know? What how do you do steampunk right uh, as opposed to just embracing the worst tropes? We. We had at some point we had, had an argument about uh, high steampunk versus low steampunk. It's sort of the equivalent of high fantasy versus low fantasy. High steampunk, everyone has goggles and gears twirling on their hats and zeppelins going left and right, and it doesn't mean anything. Like I think it's really important to have a, not exactly a historical context, but sort of an alternate weird historical context to what is in the game. Like you know. The industry doesn't mean something unless you've earned it, unless you've built it, unless it's like you know, <laughs> all the cogs have to do something. Yeah, it's like yeah, I, I, we don't want like the machines to be magical. I mean, there is sort of magic of a sort, but as a, as, as a wise artist once said, "Ceci n'est pas un cog." No, no, no. <laughs> I, I think I think the key um, uh, what David's getting at is that it just it, it has to feel yeah internally consistent and earned um steampunk can still be done extremely well i mean if you look back at like studio ghibli or Hay- hayao miyazaki a lot of a lot of those movies are amazing and they're steampunk and they still feel really unique and really cool yeah oh, you can tell he's concerned with how these things could actually work i mean sort of bends the laws of physics a bit but it's really he loves you know mechanical like uh, machines and airships and yeah. it's not just idea of it but it's like what's behind it too yeah so it, it it has to it has to have weight it can't just they can't just be set dressing there has to be some uh these things have to be earned and they have to have a purpose and i think i i i, I honestly feel like most um most fantasy settings are like this i mean um science fiction can be exactly the same way and um, like if if there are you know like crazy cloaking devices and you know beams that can destroy planets and everything everywhere then it the the fiction is no longer um believable because there's no way that such a setting could be stable um but as soon as you start imposing um some kind of restriction on it then you end up in interesting scenarios to tell stories that aren't real life it's like this is steampunk there are rules yeah like you, you got to set the rules of your world, and then you follow them. And then you know, a player, there might be an unexpected connection like later on that they didn't see, but I'm like, oh, that makes sense according to the rules of this world. And then that'll feel really strong, solid, and they'll get you know a good feeling from that. So there are similar rules applying to the occult part of Clockwork Empires. Uh, yeah, to, to, to some degree. Yeah, 
There are rules. They, I mean, they, they don't, um, they don't have unlimited magical powers. They don't fly around with laser beams coming out of their eyes. And part of the rules is we don't tell you the rules. Yeah, <laughs> we, we, we're not. Of course. I, I, I don't. Yeah, we can't, we can't really go into specifics on that. I don't think. But um, I. There, it wouldn't be cosmic horror if you understood it. Right. The purpose of cosmic horror is that you have beings that are so unlike ourselves that whatever the heck they're doing is impossible to comprehend relative to our systems of morals and ethics and science. But they are internally consistent. But they are internally which consistent. Which is actually probably much harder uh, to do for cosmic horror than it is for steampunk, to be honest, because steampunk is just an exaggerated... Um, you know, industrialization. But in cosmic horror, you have to be internally consistent with a thing that you're not actually allowed to discuss. Um, so it, it really, mm -hmm. the, the way that you adhere to those rules is much, is much different. Um, but it does still have rules. They're just, I, I, I don't know if, I don't know if we could write out a list of them, but you definitely get a feel for when it's right and when it's not. The color out of space is actually pumpkin spice. <laughs> uh, uh, to, to that actually because because this this new update that, that's coming out is going to be very cultish right right yes okay uh you mentioned earlier that you had kind of crappy cults um and they sound like <laughs> the kind of cult i, I would that. create with my no come on it was a bunch of people getting together being like now we're all in it now we're all in an elder god cult like you're the secretary i'm the president we all get cool titles <laughs> and we're going to name this tavern it used to be the happy publican and now it's going to be called uh you know Chogoth's bladder or something like that. That's this great. Is, um, I'm using that. I'm putting this, that in. This is how it starts, though. Is this not how it starts? Have <laughs> you know. ever been in a cult? Here's, here's my question. Do do the cultists... Do they understand is, how lame they are? Is what he's trying to. Well, do, well, like, are there are there degrees of cult? Like, are there are there posers people who are just sort of like cult like cult scenesters versus like people who really like are just getting it? Like they they are they are walking the walk. Uh, do, do, do like does cultism mature and grow? Uh, I think you're in confusing this game? cultist and hipster here. I well, okay, so um, or maybe goth. If 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 we treat yes, this as a very serious goth, question, right? I don't even know. <laughs> If we if we treat this as a serious question, um, I don't know. I mean, how much do we really want to peel back the veil here? Um, there are there are plans for uh, there there are lots of plans with ways that we can take uh, the occultism. And again, it's one of those things that we want. Um, it's it, it was very much a part of uh, our plan uh, way back when we first uh, planned this project. And if it's something that people really want us to focus on, then we'll focus on it more um, in in the coming months because that's again that's that's still the game that we want to end up with. Um, currently, there is a concept of um, an individual cult gaining strength, um, but the cult's strength is currently uh, independent of the cultists themselves. Um, whether or not that will change is an, an interesting thing. It's not something that, um, like, it's a, it's a neat, it's a really neat idea, but it's it, it runs runs the risk of being difficult to convey to the player, because right now we have, um, you know, if, if we're going to have the characters, you know, gaslighting themselves, then it's it already becomes quite difficult to convey exactly what's going on. So if you then have a hierarchy within a cult, should you be able to pull up a user interface window that shows the hierarchy of the cult? It, it shouldn't, you probably shouldn't be able to see that. Because then the player could just order some frontier justice on the cult leader and have and a target. Hey, your, problem yeah. is, your problem is solved. And, and with these things, I mean, 
one of the things that we, we specifically bring up as an example of what not to do in the office is the Dwarf Fortress tissue management system. What, what are you, what so are you? it's possible to go down a simulation rabbit hole. Uh, where, you know, we can keep adding things to the simulation to make it more and more complex. And then the question is, well, how much does it actually affect the gameplay experience? Well, I, how much, how complex do cults need to be? Do you want to explain the tissue management system to our no, listeners? No. Uh, yeah, okay, so um, oh, now, now that now this has been brought up, so so mm. basically um, you can, uh, in Dwarf Fortress, if, some, if, if someone is engaged in wrestling or combat of any kind, um, the actual injuries they sustain is based on an, uh, a simulation of how um, skin gets bruised, how muscles can get damaged, and how bones can get broken. And each time there's a combat event, um, you it all of these things are taken into account given the item that is being used to attack someone. And which wrestling hold you're using. And which wrestling hold you're using. And they've, they've recently, Tarn's recently put out an update that um, makes this an even more sophisticated system. And it, 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 uh, it actually... In spite of the fact that it's totally insane, within the context of the way uh, of the way that that game works, um, it, it, it's okay because it is explained to the player in detail. And um, we we're making a simulation game. This is a problem that we can often have. And in a, in, in a couple of cases, we've we've gone a little bit too far in uh, in one direction, and we need to pull back as as we develop the game. I mean, it's a it's a process of balance. Um, and the the issue with uh, doing something like a hypothetical uh, cult um, ladder would be that you would either have to explicitly describe it to a player, which would kind of make it feel a little weird, um, because you'd have information that you probably shouldn't, or it would have to be hidden from a player, and then it's similarly um, confusing and frustrating for a player because they want to know who the head of the, the cult is. And if you're not telling them explicitly, then they have to find out by doing something that's probably not optimal. Shooting everybody. Or really tedious examining of each memory or something like yeah, that. It's so like if you don't tell people that it's happening, how will they know? Yeah. So it's um it's it's the that's the kind of thing that um, sounds great on paper, but unless we came up with a design that really ticked off all the boxes, there are lower hanging fruits for us right now. Right. That's the thing. We do have a lot of new cult activities. Yes, they are. They are slightly less lame, and they do more gardening now. Yeah, and uh, they can actually uh, kill people. So there's that too. And and they build things. All right. So before I let you go, there's just one thing I wanted to ask, just to further elaborate on that on that point, just a little bit, uh, which is right, right now I can sort of click on people and I can see, yeah, here's here's what their memories are, here's here's what this character is all about. Uh, but at the same time, there is there is some value in sort of sort of hiding some of that information from players so that you don't necessarily know who who's up to what and who, who's doing what and who's connected with whom. Um, again, like. You know, like, is there going to be a bit of fog of war hanging over uh, characters, or is it just going to be a matter of if you're an attentive city manager, you'll probably pick up on like the information is out there if you're just paying attention. Uh, the simulation is, or the way that the game is written to give you information about the characters, they they have um, they have a lot of memories that aren't necessarily shown on their character sheets, but. The um, the memories that are most important in any uh, in their current mood and how they're currently reacting to a circumstance are the ones that uh, bubble to the top. So we're uh, intentionally filtering um, just because it would be way too much information otherwise. Because there's like 
they're 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 having interactions that that create things that they are considering on a on a constant basis, and most of them are so low on on the scale of of whether they should be concerned that it's ju it would just be an information overload. So um, in in some cases, we are a little bit cryptic over exactly what the content of a memory is because we want to uh, hide very specific things sometimes and we want the player to have to do a little bit of digging the uh the sort of idea on you know the there, there's a definitely a um a balance between being an attentive city manager and us forcing you to click on everybody and the um the thing the 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 circumstance that we want to end on or that we want to eventually achieve is that if you are paying a lot of attention you will get forewarning for some things that you would otherwise be made very, very aware of otherwise. So it gives you, you know, a reason to sort of, you know, watch people and see what's going on in their lives. But at the same time, the player should not feel like they need to constantly be looking at everyone for, you know, occult activity. Um, that would be overbearing, and it would it would be micromanaging in its own way. All right, so uh, I think we'll leave the discussion there. Uh, Clockwork Empires is available on Steam Early Access for, I think, $30. And uh, is it tomorrow the big update hits? Uh, yes. yes. September the 16th. Okay. And so as of tomorrow, there's going to be uh, a, a, new, a new biome, uh, the tropics, and apparently uh, far more sinister and blood-curdling exploits by your cults. They, they, are, they are less lame uh, than, than <laughs> those, the, those crappy waster cults uh, you may have seen about before. It, though, the idea of a cult that does nothing except renames a local pub and hangs out there all the time, it's very British. <laughs> oh, ab absolutely! I think it's it's, it's, I mean, it's basic... thematically consistent. <laughs> yeah, it's very hot fuzz. True. Oh, yeah, there you go. Oh yeah. Guys, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Uh, it's been just a blast talking about your game and uh, very excited to see how this continues to develop and uh, very eager to get to, well, whatever the final release product will be. I'm sure this thing's going to be evolving and changing for uh, an absolute age to come. Well, well, we hope <laughs> to have the opportunity to keep uh, to keep making it uh, the best game that we possibly can. With you know, although we actually want it to be finished at some yeah. point, so there's that too. It is important to get things out of early access into access, yeah. late access, tea time access, the tea time of access. There we go. Anyway, um, yeah, thanks, thanks very much for uh, for having us on the show. Yeah. We're big fans. Yeah, so it was, super it was fun, a pleasure. It was great to be here. All right, say good night, everybody. Bye all. Good night. Good night, everybody. Good night.